Uh, Today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9 to 17. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him, to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I have to bear with my voice, a little, uh, little croaky this morning. But uh, I think there's enough. We'll get through. And uh, let's, let's pray. Let's pray as we look at this little chunk, perhaps familiar, in Luke 18 together. Hey, great God and Father, we thank you and praise you for, uh, well, for your word, all the scriptures, for Jesus, the master storyteller. And no matter how familiar this parable and the little incident afterwards may be, please be at work so that we would be those who humble themselves in order to know at the last day uh, exaltation in the company of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Now you have to bear with me, I've been a little busy this week, so I've, um, I've slightly lost track this week of who I'm meant to be angry with, because every week we're meant to be angry with someone or, or something. I mean, I have to admit, keeping track with the sort of levels of moral indignation I'm meant to rouse because of someone this week who's broken the sort of modern morals, I just find it a bit wearying. But anyway, I, so I haven't really caught up this week. You can tell me after who I'm meant to be angry with. Um, so I did read that Ofcom had received 57,000 complaints about Piers Morgan after his sort of Meghan Markle comments. Well, that's all right, cancel him, or he sort of self-cancelled, so that's all right. Uh, although apparently more people actually wrote in, in support of Piers Morgan, complaining about the whinging Sussexes. So cancel them, um, because um, we should be angry about them, probably. Uh, Churchill, always uh, in the news at the moment. So uh, uh, he's a racist, say Churchill College, Cambridge. Um, or certainly some of those uh, who, uh, who lecture there. So probably we should cancel him and get rid of his statue. Although, of course, he is still regularly voted uh, the greatest Britain ever, ever. So probably those who want him cancelled, we should hate them. Should we? I don't know. I should ha- I mean, just tell me afterwards who I'm meant to hate this week, because I know I'm meant to hate some people, but I just lose track of who it is uh, at any particular moment in time. And I have begun to wonder, has there ever been a cultural moment 
Whereas individuals, we are so utterly convinced in our own mind that we're right and that they, uh, they are wrong. That's the culture we live in. Although I have been challenged a little bit in that view. Um, Tom Walsh told me to read this book, and uh, he's, a, he's a, a good um, dealer of books. Um, so this, uh, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, uh, which I think is an excellent book, according to the introduction, which is as far as I've got, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, but in the introduction, he, you know, he, as, as most people who tell you they've read lots of books, you read the introduction, the conclusion, you work out the thesis, and if you like it, then you then read the rest. I will read the rest. Um, but the thesis is pretty clear. Uh, from this book, that actually self, the righteous mind, by which he means self-righteousness, is actually the default setting of humans. He's a, he's a slightly quirky way, he's a sort of atheist, but quotes Jesus and says, yeah, he gets the human condition really right. But um, uh, to his view, it's a, a function of our evolutionary design, you make that what you will, but uh, that self-righteousness, it's inherent, and actually all of us, to one degree or another, are self-righteous hypocrites. We just all are. Wow. We come to a little story that Jesus tells this morning, Luke chapter 18, verse 9, and straight away we're told why he tells it. Verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. It is still hard to read that and not think, how exceptionally contemporary. We know we live in a culture where people are very confident that they are in the right and look down on everyone else. I try, I fail, but I try every day to read uh, some of the Guardian, some of the Times newspapers, um, one's free online, you know, so that's good. Um, but uh, just to try and get a sense of, you know, where, where people... And uh, there's good in both, I think, but some of the commentators, I don't know how they manage to maintain their level of self-righteous irritation with others. I mean, it must really take some work to be that angry the whole of the time, I think. But Jesus says, this is a story then, or Luke tells us, this is a story Jesus told to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Hard to think that this isn't pretty relevant in 2021. Now look, if you're joining us just today, we're in this little section of Luke's Gospel. Luke 17, verse 11 to 19, verse 27. Luke divides his Gospel up into uh, uh, journeys. So whenever there's a reference to Jesus is on the way, Jesus went further on the way, Jesus went to Jerusalem, that's sort of Luke's original chapter headings before the chapters and verses uh, were headed in. The question asked at the beginning of this section in chapter 17, verse 11, just after that was, um, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus said, it's here. Uh, and so the rest of this section is really about how do you get in? How do you get into the kingdom? It's here. Uh, oh, that's a bit bewildering to some. Jesus says, yeah, because I'm here. But how do you get into the kingdom? So classically, just at the end of our passage today, uh, uh, verse 17, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is how you enter the kingdom like a little child. We'll see next week, verse 24, Jesus looked at them, him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How do you get into the kingdom of God is the, the, what this section is about. 
And so the point made today in, in verses, particularly verses 9 to 14, with a little coda of the little children at the end, is how do you get into the kingdom of God? Not by your righteousness, but by mercy. So we're going to look at the passage like that. Okay, how do you get into the kingdom of God? Not by your own righteousness, but by mercy, like a child. Okay? Not by your righteousness, but by mercy, like a child. Those three is how we're going to work through it. Okay, first then, how do we get in? Not by your righteousness. So say verse 9 introduces the issue. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this little story or parable. So the issue is righteousness, verse 9. In the original Greek language, it's the same word as verse 14, justified. Just translate in different ways, but we have that familiar in English. The, um, the employee tried to justify his sales figures to his boss show that he was in the right. Uh, the woman tried to justify her views on Twitter, good luck, uh, show you that she's in the right, okay? We justify standing in the right, we, we get that language. Now primarily here, of course, it's the man was confident of his standing before God. I mean, they're going up to the temple. But you can see straight away how you can't really divorce that from how you think of others. So confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. And so often those two go hand in hand. We think we're in the right because they're not. We're better than them. We're good. And of course, the whole point of this story is saying just because you're better than someone who's terrible does not make you a great person and doesn't put you in the right before the Lord. So they're confident of their righteousness compared to others. That's human nature, isn't it? We make ourselves feel good by looking down. Notice two little things with me, will you, uh, about the, uh, the, the Pharisee first of all. Look at his confidence, two little things. Look at his confidence first. So look at his um, prayer. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. What a prayer this is. Five times you get the first person singular. Uh, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evils, doers, ta- adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Five times. Lord, here I am. Here I am. You've got to be pretty pleased that I'm here this morning because here I am, Lord. The guts of his prayer, of course, is, I give thanks that I am not like them. These are classical baddies in the first century, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Today, you might say, Lord, I thank you. I'm not a, I don't know, a tax avoider, a polluter, not someone guilty of casual sexism, racism, casual thing. I'm a good guy. I mean, really, and that is his prayer, isn't it? Lord... I am a great guy. That's his prayer. A bit more than that. So I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Well, good, well done. And that's more than the Old Testament commanded. You only had to fast once a year, so twice a week. I mean, you're going some there. I mean, if this Pharisee was around in 21, 21, no doubt he would 
um, sort of punctiliously observe social distancing. He'd sort of have his two-meter stick and, um, you know, make sure he never got uh, anywhere near anyone. He'd always wear his face mask. He'd obey all his regulations. And if you didn't, he'd probably phone the police on you. He said, you know, he, but he's moral. And in his mind, he's a good guy. So now look at his prayer. But the second thing I'd want you to notice is he is actually quite similar to you and me. Before we make him into a pantomime baddie, he's quite like you and me. The Pharisees in the first century, they are the respected class. They are the captains of industry. They've been a success in the city. They're the well-known journalists. You know, if the Pharisees were around today, James Dyson would be one. Hugh Edwards, the journalist, would be one. Mark Carney would be one. You know, they're respected guys. People want to be with them. They've got no shortage of friends. They're moral people. Um, and compared to the tax collector, the Pharisee is a good guy. I mean, tax collectors were corrupt often. We'll, um, in a couple of weeks, or, or just after Easter, actually, we'll get to Zacchaeus in uh, chapter 19, and he says, yeah, I'm a tax collector, so I've swindled people. I'll pay it back. He becomes a believer in Jesus. I'll pay back all the money I've swindled them, because that's what they did. So compared to the tax collector, the Pharisee who pays every bill on time, he is a good guy. I mean, when he says, I thank you, I'm not like this tax collector, maybe this tax collector was the one who'd swindled him. Maybe he felt wronged by him compared to him. He is a good guy. He's a good guy. Moral guy. And particularly if he has suffered at the hands of tax collectors. That's the very 21st century again, isn't it? If you've suffered any wrong, you view yourself as inherently virtuous. It's one of the 21st century things, isn't it? I've been a victim, therefore I must be a good person compared to everyone else. And so this Pharisee, before we dismiss him, he's a good guy, he's better man morally than the tax collector, he's a successful man. And so he comes into the temple and says, God, you should be impressed by me. And we'll hold back on the verdict, you know what's going to come. But that tendency, it is in all of us, isn't it? to a greater or lesser extent. People remember, I, I lose track of time, 10 years ago, I can't remember, uh, a friend I was at college with, Phil Chatter came, he was the chaplain at Brixton Prison at the time. And uh, he said, the amazing thing about everyone in Brixton Prison is they think they're better than lots of others. <laughs> so top of the tree really are the armed robbers because you know, armed robbery takes some skill to plan. So they think they're pretty good. They look down on the drug dealers because they think the drug dealers harm the lives of others. The drug dealers look down on the murderers because there's no business plan in that. Uh, the murderers look down upon the rapists because that's viewed as worse. The rapists look down on the paedophiles. And I said, who do they look down upon? Well, they just think they're misunderstood. He said, but there's a real moral hierarchy in a prison of people who think they're more virtuous than the rung below. He said, you'd have thought that it worked out. They're all in prison. I mean, they've all transgressed in some way. But we all do that. 
even if it's in tiny, tiny things, we are better than the, whatever it may be, those who, the polluters who don't care. We, we just, even in the small things, or oh, our neighbour has got about 12 people in their house at the moment. My pet hate, cyclists on the pavement who come by with their blasting speakers ruining my walk. Um, and in my head, the little voice says, yes, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. And maybe I am. I'm not denying it. But so what? The attitude which says, here I am. Here I am, Lord. You've got to be pretty impressed with me. Well, we know what Jesus is going to say. It's not by righteousness. How do I get into the, the kingdom of God? Not by righteousness, but by mercy. And here the tax collector gets that bit right. By mercy. So, uh, verse 13, the tax collector. He stood at a distance. He can't bear to come near to the temple. He just, God is too holy. I can't come near to God. He doesn't look up to heaven. He knows he's unworthy. He beats his breast, the mark of sorrow, and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't want to be assessed by you, Lord. Have mercy. I don't want to get what I deserve. Have mercy. Don't place your verdict on my life. I'll fail. I know you're not pleased with me, God. I want mercy. Give it a naff a little story. Uh, a little while back, sometime in lockdown, you know, um, who can remember anything in lockdown? It all blurs, doesn't it? But uh, I was walking by St. Thomas's Hospital, it's a few minutes from my house, and uh, nosily watched an interaction because uh, between a traffic warden and a, a, a bloke. Um, and the traffic warden had put a car, uh, put a car on the man's ticket, other way around, put a ticket on the man's car, and uh, the bloke came out and said, I'm here now, I'm here now, I'm here now. Um, and then the, the warden said, well, I've issued the ticket. Yeah, but I'm here now. Yeah, but I've issued the ticket. Yeah, but I was dropping off my wife. But I've issued the ticket. And you thought, well, I can see where this conversation is. This is a very profitable conversation they're going to have here. They should have, they should have this interview on Newsnight. Um, but I was just dropping off my wife. Yeah, but you pay to park here. Yeah, but... And this sort of high-level intellectual debate went back and forth for a little bit. And I was sort of just nosy. I mean, what else do you have to do in lockdown? It was the most entertaining thing I'd seen all week. Um, and, uh, and then uh, a woman also kept just having to wander by and sort of was equally nosy. And I thought, well, at least I'm not the only nosy one. Um, and she said, I'll pay. How much? 60 quid, great. Handed over money. Someone took it. <gasps> it's COVID times. You don't do that. But anyway, they did. Um, I thought, wow. <laughs> Honestly, what I thought to myself was, I such a shame the traffic warden didn't pay, because that would be a really good sermon illustration. <laughs> As it is, I'll have to use this, and perhaps I'll change it. Now, I mustn't change it. That would be deceitful. But um, here's what should have happened, okay? What should have happened, ignore the woman. The, uh, the traffic warden said, yes, you deserve this ticket, but I'll pay. That would have been brilliant mercy. As it was, it was just kindness. But, the, you know, the man should have paid. Someone else paid for him. It's mercy. He doesn't get the fine that he did deserve. Well, that's mercy. When you face a penalty and someone else pays it, when you fall short of God's standards, you face punishment, the only thing you can do is say, help. Not, here I am, 
All right, I'm not perfect. I, you know, I'm not going to claim I'm perfect, but I'm pretty good. Uh, certainly better than him. Certainly better than them. Here I am. You can't... Mercy. Actually, it's a funny phrase, verse 13. God have mercy on me, a sinner. The word for mercy, it's not the different words you can use uh, in the Greek. But uh, uh, here, it's... Um, it's a funny word. It's from the, it's a temple word. It's literally have make atonement for me. You see it elsewhere in the New Testament. Propitiation, atonement, make atonement for me. It's not the normal word for mercy. In other words, he's saying even here, can someone else pay? Lord, God, have mercy on me. God, make someone else pay. Make someone else be a sacrifice for my sins. Then he doesn't know what he's saying, but. He's asking for Jesus. He's asking for Jesus to pay for him on the cross. And he doesn't say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. It's literally, it doesn't really make sense, I guess, but it's literally, God have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm not playing the comparison game. I'm the sinner. Of course, I'm not the only one. But not a 10 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 6 out of 10, the sinner. God have mercy on me. God, make a payment for me. God, offer a sacrifice for me. I'm the sinner. And so, the, you know, the verdict, verse 14, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee says, God, you should be impressed with me. Jesus says, I find you offensive. And yet in our own heads, how often are we, even subconsciously thinking, God, you should be impressed with me. You should. I mean, compared to others, you're pretty good to have me with you. And that attitude, Jesus says, I just find offensive. Anything which begins, God, uh, I want to come into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, why? Because I, because I, and I, and I, compared to and I have mercy on me. The tax collector, that's what he asks for. And he goes home justified. He goes home in the right with God that day. We often sing, <clears throat> to God be the glory. A perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment. That moment. From Jesus, a pardon receives. Then, the moment you put your faith in him as a sacrifice for all you've done wrong, that moment, you enter the kingdom of God. You belong to him. How do you get in? Not by righteousness, but by mercy. Like a child, briefly, verses 15 to 17, just like a child. So uh, this follows up. Uh, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the little children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, tangent in one sense. Do you not find it lovely or um, amazing that in the midst of a pretty hectic ministry, you know, thousands, crowds of thousands wanting uh, him. Jesus says, I've got time for the kids. 
It's amazing, I think. Disciples, you haven't got time for them. They're just not very important. They're babies or toddlers, perhaps you could translate it maybe better. They're toddlers. Um, you're not going to have, you know, they're not going to understand much of what you're saying, Jesus. He said, I've got time for them. Which is, and forgive me, it is a tangent in one sense, but it is a reminder that um, those who serve in Sunday school have the same concern as Jesus. He always had time for them. And um, probably those who serve, not many of them up yet, but uh, we need to keep saying thank you. Those who serve in Sunday school, and we are very well served by James Kite and his team. They had the same concern as Jesus. But the main point Jesus wants to make is, I guess it comes from, the, you know, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. His, his application is verse 17. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not, or excuse me, will never enter it. He's, what's his point? What does a little child do? What does a toddler do? They take. They take food. They take shelter. They take presents. They snatch. Say thank you. Um, that's about all you get. They just snatch. They take. That's what little children do. You don't get many toddlers when they're offered food saying, well, am I worthy of this? Um, do I deserve this? Uh, not many say, I don't know, three-year-old, four-year-olds would say, um, yeah, offered a present. Well, that's very kind. I'm just thinking, compared to others, how worthy of this am I? I think actually... Uh, a little Molly, uh, she plays more, she plays better. She shares toys better than I do. I think maybe she's more entitled to this. They don't do that, you'll have observed, toddlers. They just go, um, for food and presents. Um, they just take, they take, they take. I don't think Jesus is simple point here. They don't think they deserve, they simply trust and take from their mum, dad. There's a very simple trust here. Not, yeah, I deserve this, but I'll just take it. And if you believe, I've always been very intrigued. We're one of the intriguing, I mean, the, um, the, the Narnia books, the last battle is intriguing for lots of reasons. At some point you think, Lewis, what on earth are you saying here? And isn't that dodgy theologically? Uh, but it's always stimulating. There's one part when um, they're talking, why does... Um, Susan, why does Susan, the older Pevensey girl, why does she not get into the greater Narnia, the picture of the new creation? She's not there. And the characters are talking about this, and her sister observes in a very 1940s, 50s language, Susan, well, she's interested in nothing nowadays except nylons and lipstick and invitations. She always was a jolly sight, too keen on being grown up. So look, if you're a teenager, be wary, don't get into nylons. Um, but um, uh, you see what I guess the point is making. She, she was unwilling to accept the Jesus figure, Aslan, like a child. I, I just want to be grown up now. I want people to take me more seriously. I, I don't want a simple trust anymore. I want to be independent. I want people to notice me. I want to be better than my silly little sister and my siblings. She falls into the same trap as the Pharisee. Far too concerned with what others thought of her. Toddlers, 
They don't compare. They don't assess their worth compared to others. They just know that they need someone to provide for them. They just know that. So that's how you enter the kingdom. Not by your righteousness, but by God's mercy. Not saying, here I am, Lord. Look at what I've done. But rather, help. I I need a gift. I I need mercy. I I need just to be provided for, like a little child. And Jesus says, yeah, that's what puts you in the right with God. Knowing that you need mercy, knowing that you, well, as we'll go on to demonstrate, that his death is the mercy you need for all you've done wrong. It guarantees you eternity, but you can enter the kingdom of heaven now through trusting in him. How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? It's not your work. It's not your righteousness, even though we love to look down on others. Of course, if you believe it, if you're a Christian and know it, it's got to affect how you look at others, hasn't it? Let's pray together. Hey, great God and Father, no matter how familiar we are with these stories that Jesus tells, we pray they do their work and get under our skin a little bit. Because we love to think we're better than others. We enjoy looking down on others because it makes us feel more virtuous. And we love to feel in the right. Would we be those who know that before you we need mercy? Would we ask repeatedly for mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ? And therefore, would that affect how we relate to others? Not grandstanding, but humbly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.